You are listening to the Extreme Metal Podcast Necropolis, which is brought to you by Jason from Goatcraft and Shelly from HateMeditations.com and Metal Legion Magazine. Welcome to Necropolis. This is Jason, also known as Lone Goat from Goatcraft. Shelly is MIA today. He is busy, um, so uh, he will not be joining us today. But I did have two guests already lined up for a wonderful episode, so we are marching forward today. So we will be doing another classical music episode. Um, Part of the focus will be on the music of Anton Bruckner. And uh, so first, I want to thank Professor John Godoy um, from Lux Music Eye, um, a chamber music ensemble here in San Antonio. He's the director of that and uh, music professor, um, conductor. Um, he uh, performs timpani with the uh, Corpus Christi Symphony Orchestra, um, and he's been all over the place. You look at his resume on uh, luxmusicguy.org, and you'll see that Professor Godoy has made his rounds um, quite a bit. So I want to thank you for coming back, Professor. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, a pleasure to talk with uh, folks about music and depth and special topics. So look forward to sharing some insights if possible. Yes, I'm looking forward to that as well. I know uh, I, I know you could fill the the hour all just talking about music easy breezy, but um, I, I think both guests today can do that easy breezy um, since you both are teachers at one point. Um, so the other guest, and hopefully I do not butcher his name, I was pronouncing it correctly earlier, um, is Sebastian Ledoka. Um, So Sebastian is uh, one of the guys who uh, took it upon himself back in 2016 but back in uh, 2007 and uh, 2008, he worked on uh, completing the finale to Bruckner's Ninth Symphony. So everyone knows that Bruckner had died before he finished that, and there's been different versions of completions. However, uh, I, I view uh, Sebastian's as one as one of, one of the best by far, like especially compared to the Simon Rattle version, um, mainly because of the coda. <laughs> Um, the hallelujah theme that he injected into uh, the finale is very, very powerful, very epic. Um, so Sebastian is also an organist, uh, you know, composer, and I will be putting links, links in the description um, for the YouTube video and the, the Spotify episodes. So if you guys are curious, you can check out some of his exploits. So thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for inviting me to this discussion with both of you. I'm I'm very happy. Yes, and uh, I am quite a bit hungover today. I, I did have a, a mountain of accounting homework to do yesterday, and that just sucked the soul right out of me. I was all bug-eyed and filled with Veltschmus. Um, So I did delve into the beer. I had some Hogarden, and speaking of Hogarden, is that the proper pronunciation of Hogarden? Um, I know you're in Belgium, and it's a Belgian beer, so is it Hogarden? Hogarden, there we go. All right, thank you. I was curious about that. So, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, what I love about Wu Garden is that it's probiotics, actually good for your stomach, bad for the liver. Um, so um, this is healthy and bad for you. So yeah, I'm a little hungover today. So if I stumble, I apologize. But uh, yeah, that accelerated accounting course is uh, blah. But anyway, um, <laughs> to the classical music. So. Professor Godoy, I'm going to start with you because I was in your class and I did a presentation on Bruckner. Like, um, I probably went a little bit more in depth than all the other students with their presentations. Um, 
So uh, what's your like general opinion of Anton Bruckner? Like I was drawn to his music because it was quite powerful. Um, like Beethoven, for instance, it had the same gravitas um, and uh, the Bruckner's music as in Beethoven. So um, what, what are your kind of general thoughts before we start delving into uh, the nitty gritty of Bruckner? As a performer, I have no, uh, no um, inclination to comment as a conductor. I, I'm not there. But, um, but as a performer, uh, I have some experience. I think I've played two of his symphonies. And I think the issue is that his music is um, not accessible, not because it's um, not likable or not playable, but um, for some reason his music is, is less accessible than Mahler. Um, I don't think people, maybe in the in 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 the United States, are are as um, likened to, um, you know, go to a concert of Bruckner. I think it's more like, uh, you know, uh, fanatics. <laughs> I would say, you know, people who are just uh, Mahler enthusiasts, like, as I am, or Bruckner enthusiasts, or Wagner enthusiasts. So there's there's sort of like a pocket. Um, I, I would, you could, Sebastian, you could correct me or redirect me, but I feel um, what I've, you know, played and, and understood compositionally from those kind of three is that there's sort of like a pocket um, of understanding of the symphonic, um, you know, creation. Um, each had, uh, each of those had their kind of skills. You know, Bruckner was an organist, so he composed as an organist essentially and Mahler well he played piano and um and um and then uh, Wagner you know had a specific you know uh d design for creating his symphonies and, and of course he didn't do I mean Wagner his operas not no symphonies there um but um so I, I think because their music is is kind of eclectic um you know w we don't know too much about it I mean as far as you know players go uh, you know, we just, we're not, we just don't have, you know, you're lucky to play Bruckner or you're lucky to play Muller. Um, and again, I've played, uh, two of Bruckner's symphonies and I've played almost, uh, almost all of Mahler except nine and eight and nine. And, um, I got to do a master class under Leonard Bernstein at Juilliard, uh, when we were playing, you know, parts of Mahler seven and he was conducting Mahler seven across the street there with the New York Philharmonic uh, that weekend, which was a very fortunate, um, uh, you know, uh, event that we got to participate in a couple of events there. But, um, but I, I think, you know, get, getting back to my point that, that because they're, they're kind of eclectic composers, um, we just don't hear too much about them. And, um, and then they become standoffish. It's sort of like in general classical music, how do you approach classical music? Dudamel once said, um, that, you know, classical music is not, it's not hard to understand, but it's just, um, we just sometimes don't have the tools to, you know, explain it to people, you know, show it to the audiences, what, you know, how, the, what this means or what this, you know, and maybe it's just uh, another awakening that, you know, our culture has to, um, you know, be prompted to, to be able to understand the greater works of not just Beethoven, Mozart, but, you know, Mahler and Bruckner and Wagner. So that's my take on that. Yeah. So uh, previously in the first episode that we did, uh, Shelley at the end was talking about how 
there's just so much classical music that people don't know where to start if they are interested in it. Um, it's kind of like you have to be raised on it, really, or get into it pretty young to have a, a really great understanding of all the different periods and all how the music um, changed over time, you know, from the Renaissance to Baroque to classicism to Romanticism to modernism. I mean, you, you spout that out to someone who's not familiar with all that. They think you're speaking some other language. And uh, Sebastian and I were discussing uh, before today's episode that uh, perhaps, you know, we should make the segue into Bruckner with Beethoven. Um, since, you know, a lot of people know Beethoven, especially the Fifth Symphony, um, which happens to be one of my least favorite symphonies by Beethoven. Um, but uh, um, so uh, Sebastian had previously mentioned that Bruckner was or yeah, the shadow of Beethoven was, you know, over Bruckner or something along the lines of that. I'm paraphrasing. So uh, how would you uh, describe the similarities of uh, Beethoven and Bruckner, Sebastian? Yes, it's uh, it's a big topic. So um, I I would raise uh, um, the question about how Bruckner composed and and was an orchestrator. I I don't hear personally uh, his music like uh, an, an organist music, because uh, as I told you before the the show. Uh, the main model of Bruckner was Beethoven, and his goal, his purpose was to compose um, a Viennese symphony in the tradition of Mozart, Haydn, and especially Beethoven. And Bruckner himself said that his two favorite symphonies was the uh, Eroica symphony, the third symphony, and the ninth symphony. And these two symphonies of, of Beethoven are the, the biggest biggest symphonies of Beethoven with the, the largest development. And this is why it was probably uh, um, his, his main model, because Bruckner wanted to extend what Beethoven did. And when I listen to Bruckner, I especially hear the orchestra of Beethoven and Schubert. And I don't, I don't hear, I don't hear especially the world of Wagner. And uh, I think that the link with Wagner is more to find with Richard Strauss and Mahler. So later, and uh, there is a, a recording of uh, Nicolas Harnoncourt, recording of the the Ninth Symphony, and he speaks about Bruckner like uh, I, I try to remember, but it's, it's like a a stone from the moon uh, falling on earth. It's com completely special. It's, uh, you can, it's difficult to, to classify Bruckner in the 19th century because uh, it's not the, the standard symphony like Mendelssohn, Schumann, or Brahms. It's, his symphonies are mainly um, two times um, dura the duration is two times bigger when you have uh, maybe a symphony of Mendelssohn duration of 25, 30 minutes. Bruckner, it's 50, 55, one hour, and even more with the, the eighth symphony. So the, Bruckner wanted to, to extend, especially the, the model, the main model for me is most probably the first movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. 
and you can find uh, this this shadow even in the, in his last uh, own ninth symphony and the what is maybe maybe uh, what makes me Bruckner's music so difficult for some people uh, and even uh, Leonard Bernstein had very very big difficulties with Bruckner's music it's because maybe uh, it's a very abstract music but there is also something um, that's that makes the music more difficult to understand and uh, I, I I've already already talked about that before the, the discussion before the recording that's the question on about how we perform this music. And this is why, once again, the link with Beethoven is very important because I am quite sure that 10, 20, 30, 40 years after Beethoven's death, most conductors were very um, careful about following the metronome markings left by Beethoven. So when Bruckner was quite young, when he was 30, uh, 40 years old, what he listened to when he heard a uh, Beethoven symphony was quite lively. And so it was not what we have for, for example, the, the recordings of Fode Wengler or uh, Klemperer or even Bernstein. It, it's, that was quite um, very slow paced interpretations not following at all uh, Beethoven uh, metronome markings. So you can find this kind of interpretation more with uh, Pavo Yervi, for example, John Elliot Gardiner, uh, Sir Roger Norrington, and so on. Historically informed, I would say, or more, historic, more historically informed. So we have, um, I would say, a distorted uh, image of Bruckner's music uh, being uh, very stretched out uh, phrases, very, very long music, very slowly paced, very mystical, very contemplative. But it, it doesn't make sense for me because uh, it's it's closer to Beethoven's music. It's uh, it's a sort of athletic and muscular music also. We have a lot of moments who are very quiet, very tender, very contrasted. But the, the, the whole process of uh, Bruckner was to, to write a very powerful, very energetic music and not so, so stretched out or so, so heavily paced. And you can find uh, this kind of approach of Bruckner's music with Karayan, Celebidace, uh, Giulini. There are many, many performances who are way too slow. And we have also factual evidences that uh, because of the first publications of Bruckner's scores, we have metronome markings from Bruckner himself. And we know that Bruckner didn't want uh, moderate to slow or very slow tempi. He wanted moderate to quite fast tempi. So, the image we can have of Bruckner is quite distorted, I, I would say. So uh, I can understand that people, some people find it very, uh, I would not say boring, but very disturbing. Where, where are we heading? 
what what's the meaning of this music a lot of people can feel that i, I that's not my case but i think that the, the way we perform this music is has a big responsibility to how we hear it or how, how we experience this music Going back to Solibadachi, who is very, very well known as a Bruckner conductor for stretching the symphonies out beyond 80 minutes almost. Um, uh, like one thing I noticed, like I was really getting into Bruckner's first, which it's one of the last symphonies I've actually been able to, you know, delve into and really explore this still kind of new to me. You know, I've, I've heard the zero, third, fourth, uh, seventh eighth and ninth like a billion times so i actually just like well i've heard all these symphonies so many times i'm gonna try to go back into the, some of the, uh, the lesser known symphonies by bruckner and i started connecting with the first um symphony and i posted it and you were very quick to correct me it was like a uh a, a proper uh conductor to, for the performance so i think it was carrion or something like that or that i was listening to and uh and uh the way that the I forget which conductor it was starts with a P actually I forget his name but uh um it's it's very lively and the brass resolves differently there's a different feeling um when it's actually played lively like it feels more compact and complete rather than being really stressed out and I know uh when I first got into Buckner Silabadachi um that was like my gateway and to the symphonic forms of Bruckner, but it was very stretched out. And uh, um, the more Bruckner that I listened to, the more I realized it's like, it's bloated. Um, Silabadachi, you know, later on in his career, 
slowing down the Bruckner symphony is he did Bruckner an injustice. I think I saw the eighth up in Dallas and I'm so Anglophonic on the butcher. The conductor's name was Jot von Sweden, um, which is pretty good conductor, but I was, you know, in the first row, I always go in the orchestra pit. Um, and, uh, I was looking to my left and right and people were squirming in their seats, you know, long um, expanses that Bruckner would draw out. And it, some people don't, they just don't have the patience for it. So um, very, very cool. Um, so yeah, uh, very fortunate that you have uh, been kind of like a Bruckner guru on Facebook, like, especially in that, uh, the Bruckner group, um, you're always quick to correct people when they're wrong. So um, I appreciate that, you know, we don't want people to, especially myself, I don't want to be misinformed on what the proper interpretation is, um, especially when it comes to the tempo um, of Bruckner Symphony. So I'm fortunate that I stumbled upon that group and saw you in there, and I was already familiar with that uh, completion you did of uh, Bruckner's ninth finale. And uh, seeing you in action on there, I was like, wow, this guy is, he knows his stuff. So uh, very fortunate that you're on today's episode. And uh, trying to get back to that, you know, how Bruckner isn't that accessible, like Mahler is, for instance, like uh, Professor Godoy, you said he performed so many Mahler symphonies, but only two Bruckner symphonies. So um, yeah, Bruckner is hardly ever performed here um, in Texas. Um, the San Antonio Symphony was supposed to perform his works twice now, and both times they backed out for different reasons. Um, and now the symphony is in shambles, like the, the musicians are on strike and all that. So, um, yeah, Bruckner is something very, like, illuminating to Bruckner. Uh, like, it illuminates your, your mind, and it's very profound music. Um, like when I got into classical, like really, really hard and very obsessive, it was Beethoven that illuminated my mind. And I got that again with Bruckner. Um, I haven't been fully, you know, invested in uh, composer um, as, or composers as much as Beethoven and Bruckner. And I, I love a great deal of other composers, but those two are the ones that really make me feel like it's a representation of life, pretty much like music, you know, that is representing life as a whole, all its ups and downs and happiness and love and, uh, and also pain here and there. So yes, yes, yes. I share this feeling and I don't share a lot of things about uh, Bruckner uh, with uh, Sergio Silibidaci, but he said one thing that is absolutely true about Bruckner's music. It's when you are fully involved in listening or experiencing a, a symphony of Bruckner, it's like experiencing a, a whole human life. You can, it's, it's like going through a, a, an entire human life. And I, I feel the same way. It's so profound, it's so deep, it's so full of, of doubt, of feel of, full of joy, full of, of strength, of despair. Everything, every human feelings are, are in, in this music. Sebastian, I'd, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, um, again, I, you know, from experience, I, I don't listen to that much Bruckner. I don't really listen to much music at all. I mean, other than the music that I've got to be playing. But so do you feel the same um, depth of soul when you hear Mahler as with Bruckner? That's an excellent question. Um, I have more more big problems with Mahler. I, I love, I, I'm a, I'm a 
male fan, absolute male fan. I loved uh, the recordings of Lenny uh, with New York and the later with Deutsche Gramophone. Uh, I loved, I, I love that. But I have big problems about the form with Mahler. Um, especially the, the second and the third symphony who, who are like, uh, you know, um, I would say Quasimodo symphonies. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if I'm clear when I say that, but it's like uh, big monsters with, with big problems of proportion. And mm -hmm. I think that Bruckner was absolutely obsessed about form. And this is why it can explain why he revised so much his symphonies. He wanted to, to find the perfect shape. And uh, form is, is, this is maybe also why people uh, have some difficulties uh, with Bruckner music, because it's, it's probably, I would say, more intellectual than Mahler. It, it, maybe it, it could, uh, Mahler seems more intellectual or in the, I would say, in the philosophical, literal, you know, uh, he was more linked to literature, to Nietzsche, Schopenhauer, and so on. It's more intellectual this way. But uh, I think that Bruckner is more intellectual in the sense of abstraction, pure abstraction, more, more linked to, to uh, one of my other favorite composers, which was uh, uh, Jan Peterson's feeling, which was a Dutch composer before Bach, before Buxtehude. And he he composed uh, mainly uh, keyboard music for organ or uh, harpsichord. And he wrote a, a big fantasy or ricercari uh, for, for uh, and, and this piece are purely abstract music, polyphonic music. And I find the same state of mind with Bruckner. He wanted, he wanted to compose purely uh, abstract music and you have no, I would say, uh, no, no anecdotal uh, elements in it. It's only music. You have no reference to philosophy, to, to nature, or I, I don't know. It's purely uh, uh, music combina combination of sounds. And maybe because it's so, you have this abstraction side of this music, people have difficulties to to dig into it, because Mahler is much more romantic, more much more demonstrative. He, it's not. I would not say that uh, Mahler composed uh, real symphonies in in the in the sense of the the Viennese tradition. He, he composed some symphonies, but you have some elements of opera in it, or or even ballet music. You have a. a Many elements, many different elements from outside of, of music, I would say. Uh, so maybe it makes, it makes his music more colorful or at the mm -hmm. same time more concrete. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and, and very rom romantic, very, very, uh, yes, very in, in the idiom of the, the late romantic, uh, like Richard Strauss also. Bruckner has, has, he was looking for more, something more. For me, it's like um, a quest for purity uh -huh. in the music of Bruckner. I, 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 he, was, he was very Catholic also. I think he, he was 
trying to find a some uh, kind of pacification or or, or, or transcendent transcendence in, in in his music, and uh, I I like I like to to define Bruckner uh, like um, as a, an optimist romantic. couple of notes there, um, Sebastian, I'd, I'd like to say that um, I think if somebody, you know, Mahler himself would say, you know, transitions are, are like the most important thing in music. Well, transitions are the most important thing in Mahler's music because, you know, I'm, like my wife, she doesn't like listening to Mahler. He's too moody. 
and 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 in that sense, yeah, I think he he draws a lot of his personal griefs and you know experience life experiences into his music is very very personal. But um, so so if you take it in, into into consideration, like I mean, his own quote, uh, you know, transitions in music are I'm loosely paraphrasing him. Um, you know, he says to that extent that you know transitions are like everything in music. Well, yeah, everything in your music, but. Would you say that he maybe Mahler got like lost in his concept of um, uh, of, of the symphonic realm uh, in the sense because he was an opera composer and he did so much theater, uh, you know, music and uh, would that be a fair kind of like a like a novice way to talk about his uh, his symphonic uh, um, you know uh, kind of like concept of symphonic works. Maybe it's a, it's a good way mm -hmm. to yeah, to define him. I would say mm -hmm. that my favorite symphonies of Mala are the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh, the, the, the central trio. I'm not so much a fan of the late symphonies or the early symphonies uh, because the, for me, the, the fifth, sixth, and seventh are more, more satisfying. Uh, yeah. The, the shape is better okay. for me, especially the sixth. Which which is very effective and and well proportioned and and the finale is uh but in this symphony uh, we can it's like um, the the it corresponds for for me to the fifth of of Bruckner it's it's like um, these two symphonies are monster symphonies with, with a lot of counterpoint in it and at, uh -huh. in the finale of the sixth Mahler tried to. He tries to to have something more compact, more co more cohesive, you know, uh, and and more 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 rigorous in, in in the way he managed the form. I don't find this in in the late symphonies or the early symphonies. It's more uh, how to say that. Uh, uh, I, I wouldn't so, say it's it's not it's not so so perfectly shaped. I would say. Mm -hmm. In, in in pardon me for but in in that respect, do you also feel that Bruckner was more successful in his symphonic attempts with being you understanding Bruckner more than I um, in his symphonic attempts in one symphony or a number of symphonies as as opposed to you know other symphonies like in other words uh, some symphonies were more he was more successful in communicating. Um, at least maybe to the public or, you know, in your mind, compositionally speaking. Does that uh, make I sense? Yes. I, I, I don't know if you know the, the music critic, David Hurwitz. He made a, a video on YouTube uh, three or four months ago, and he compared mm -hmm. Mahler and Bruckner, and he, he, he said that Bruckner was not... Uh, as great a genius as Mahler, because Mahler was sure of what he composed, and he, he didn't revise so much as Bruckner did. And it's very, extremely unfair to say, and very simplistic, I would say, because we don't mm -hmm. have to forget that Mahler was a star conductor, and he had the, the opportunities many times to perform his own music, so he, he revised it uh, mm -hmm. many times. Yeah, and when Bruckner had very few opportunities, that these two 
people were had very different position in, in Vienna in, in the music world. Uh, Bruckner was uh, described as a, a very kind person, but awkward also in, in society, in his relationships. So he was very fr friendly, very loved as a, as a teacher, but he had very a lot of difficulties to make his music perform. So, and it's particularly unfair to say that he was a, as great a genius because he was uh, he composed symphonies uh, way before Mahler. He tried to to like Brahms at the same time to 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 reintroduce this this kind of uh, orchestral music uh, to the audience. It, it was not so easy and. At that time, there was also the conflict in Vienna uh, between the, the supporters of Wagner and the supporters of Brahms. And the supporter of Brahms uh, was were very unfair to Bruckner and destroyed his reputation. Yeah, they so called it, was it extremely. They called it a, a symphony, of symphonic pythons or boa constrictors, like the snake said. Coil yes, 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 because uh, Brahms, Brahms wanted to, to write concise music, dense and concise music, and he didn't understand why, why Bruckner composed so, so long, dev developed uh, three, three thematic format sonata forms. He, he didn't understand, uh, probably he didn't like uh, Bruckner's music, but uh, Bruckner was a pioneer, so to say. And I, I'm not sure that without Bruckner, we would have the same Mahler because the young Mahler was very, very impressed by, by the, what he heard for, from Bruckner, especially the third symphony of Bruckner uh, in 1877 in Vienna. And it was very difficult for, for him to develop his concept because he had very few opportunities to experience his music in real condition with a, an orchestra. And I would uh, say that Bruckner had two, two periods as a, as a composer of symphonies. The first period is the, the, the first symphony to the third symphonies. And you can notice that uh, his finale of the, these symphonies are quite fast. And I, I call them uh, Haydnian and Mozartian uh, finale with fast tempi. <laughs> and, and you have the first version of the fourth symphony. And you, and with the, the revision of the fourth symphony and the fifth symphony, you have the moderate, the Beweg doch nicht zu schnell or Allegro Moderato. And you have a, a completely different designed uh, type of finale. And uh, it seems that Bruckner wanted to have more moderate tempi in his symphony. And the, the concept, uh, start to be completely different, especially with his sonata form. And he, he Bruckner developed, uh, so to say, he wanted to avoid the recapitulation in, in the sonata form to hear a second time what we heard at the beginning of the, the movement. So he, he, how to say that in English, uh, he integrated uh, the, 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 the end of the development with the recapitulation. So we don't have the feeling to hear the music for the second time. We hear the, the musical ideas 
uh, once again, but in, in the different configur configuration. And it's, he, he wanted to what uh, Brahms called a, a giant snakes, but Bruckner wanted to have a, a sonata form giving the, the, the feeling of a constant, uh, continuous development, continue, yes, to have con um, a sort of continuous music, uh, a, a flow, a continuous flow without uh, uh, literal repetitions. And this is what he, he, he achieved with the fifth symphony, especially the, the, the finale of the fifth. At the, the peak of the fugue, you have the, the combination between the, the first fugue and the, the choral theme. And he combined them. And he, at, at this moment, you have B flat major and that's the peak of the fugue, and at the same time, it's the the, 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 the recapitulation. And after you have the a long decrescendo, and you are heading uh, directly after that to the Gesangsperiode, the, the, the second group, the lyrical theme. I hope I answered yeah. the question.
no, no, no. You know, and, and interesting too. You know, even even for the layman, you know, when I try to when I try to talk to in very very simple terms to music appreciation classes and and say, you know, if you look at the forms, and I always tell them, you know, instead of looking at the personalities of the composers, you know, let's look at forms because forms. If you understand a form in any discipline, then you can understand that discipline. I mean, you know, even the basics, you know, okay, I'm going to learn tennis. Well, what what are the basics of the game? You know, it's a different size ball than football, et cetera, you know, but so you learn, you know, you learn the basics of the form. Like what, what's, what's the difference between a concerto and a symphony? And okay. So we want to look at the symphonies as you're, you're talking, Sebastian, how, how did the symphony, what did it come from? You know how did you know it's it's uh, initial you know concept um, you know coming from maybe like uh, the the uh, overture you know the idea of uh, of an overture to an opera developed a symphonia and then you know from the symphonies of of, of uh, you know Haydn or even even the the Bach sons you know going into you know Haydn and then, and then into Beethoven I'm sorry and then into Beethoven. You know, when you look at his, I mean, between the one and nine, it's just like, there's just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a world of difference, but he's still composing within the framework. I mean, I mean, again, just playing, you know, just playing Beethoven's ninth, you know, last weekend, you know, when you're sitting in rehearsals and I, I have, I always have the score, you know, in front of me when I, when I, when I have time to, you know, very busy timpani parts, but when I have the time, I have it on, on stand on the side. And, uh, you know, have time to look at like the third movement. Um, you know, he's still, what I'm trying to say, he's still very much, you know, um, uh, married to the idea that, you know, you, like, like you were saying, he, Beethoven is looking, I mean, Bruckner's different, but Beethoven is looking at the form, even though he's, he, he switches the second and third movement traditionally in, you know, in the ninth, the, the order, you know, from fast to slow meaning the scherzo is now the second movement and the slow movement is the, which was usually the, he, he puts the, the slow movement there, the andante cantabile, but he's still using the scherzo trio form. He's, he's still, you know, in that framework of, of, of composing. So he's morphed it. He's kind of put steroids into, <laughs> into the form, but he's still very, very much into that. Um, you know, it, there, there is a sort uh, of there is a sort of paradox with Bruckner because he was uh, not only because of his religious belief, he was a very conservative person. So the tradition of the the Viennese, Viennese tradition was very important to him, and that at the mm -hmm. same time he was a very progressive, very modern. The way he he developed the form, he was he had the ambition to to compose. Huge symphonies. Nobody in the 19th century did what what he did. He was the only one. He was the the madman who who, who dared to to compose such huge sonata forms. And he was uh, uh, when you analyze the the ninth symphony, the last his last symphony, and finished symphony. Unfortunately, the harmonies the, are so modern that that's that's crazy. And mm -hmm. the way he expands the form is, is absolutely fascinating. So he was at the same time obsessed with the idea, I want to compose a symphony in the tradition of, yes, his scherzo has, 
have exactly the same form as a minuet of Haydn in, in, in a symphony. That's that's exactly mm -hmm. the same. Even with with the silence between the the scherzo, the trio, and and the, the few and the, scherzo, the, the 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 recapitulation of the the scherzo, and he even tried to to maybe to to have uh, something more like Brahms. In, in the first symphony, he revised it in, in Vienna um, in 1891. And um, he, he made a transition between the, the, the trio and the, the return of the scherzo. And he did the same with the help of his pupils in the fourth symphony. So, but that's the two only uh, examples we have when he where he tries to a little bit to have not this 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 kind of dry transition with just the silence mm -hmm. but of course yes he was you know, very traditional and and you know also one thing that you know non-performers or you know might not understand is that these composers were still you know with respect to their their ideas of you know traditionalism you know and what they were doing with harmonies, they were still encased with, um, you know, using instruments that were not, you know, not uh, super sophisticated, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, just give, you know, a hundred more years, uh, instruments, French horns, trumpets, timpani, um, the backbone of, uh, of the harmonic structure. When they evolved a little bit more, um, you know, what they might, what composers might have lent their harmonies to, you, you, you mean, you know, understand what I mean? You know, the, they were, they were still subject to, um, well, this timpani, you know, can't change that pitch so quickly. So, uh, you know, we, we'll have to keep the harmonies. I mean, they were, they were, it was amazing because what they were doing within such a small context, I mean, what Beethoven does in, in the, in, in the slow movement of the ninth symphony, Harmonically, it's just, you know, um, and, and he's, you know, and he still uses the timpani and the trumpets where he can, um, you know, very classical oriented, but, uh, but that, that might help people understand. I mean, Schumann, you know, Schumann was trying to push the limits as well. And when, as a timpanist, when I look at the, the symphonies of Schumann, there are numerous very conservative changes I can make you know, not just to a, you know, tonic dominant, I can, you know, go to subdominant or, you know, another chord, a note that's going to fit the chord. Uh, in his first symphony, we have, with due respect to, you know, where he was, uh, we timpanists do have versions um, that we add notes specifically. Um, in Beethoven, not so much. There's a couple of notes that you can add, but, you know, you want to stay within the framework, you know, of, of you know, the, not, not just tradition, but also, you know, just respect for, you know, you're not the composer. So, but, um, but, uh, you know, some of the, again, these composers were, were working within, uh, um, limitations of certain instruments so um and they would just again i'm saying that they were just it was amazing what they were doing with those limitations uh you know yeah cool um i, I kind of want to go back to the not so uh technical um conversation but uh um this is like a, a podcast for like metalheads and all that and we're kind of getting into uh uh, technical territory so uh I, I do appreciate the conversation but i i want to clear something up um you mentioned earlier sebastian about uh 
uh, I believe his name is David Hurwitz, the guy off the YouTube channel that is pretty much infamous for trashing Bruckner. Um, and he, he can tell he's a Mahler guy. And I feel like there's a lot of Mahler guys that just don't understand or get Bruckner and they make it part of their duty to just go and smear Bruckner wherever they can. But, uh, Bruckner, um, there's also a lot of rumors about Bruckner. Um, just in the, a week or so ago in the Bruckner Facebook group, someone was talking about Bruckner wearing rubber underpants. And I've heard other things. I know uh, Professor Godoy, like I, I, at one point, like I guess Bruckner was a exhibitionist, <laughs> however you want to say. But uh, um, is there any truth to the rumors he said he was awkward earlier like on a personal level like building relationships with other people it was friendly but a little off kilter um do you think there's any uh, truth to the rumors or is it just hearsay from anti-bruckner people about the rubber i i, I have no idea <laughs> what i can say what i can say is probably he was a, a guy com coming from the countryside uh, from a small village, from a small community, he lived his adolescence in uh, an abbey in Saint Florian, uh, where he learned to to sing, to play uh, the organ, and he had a very. Uh, he was also a teacher in um, a school teacher in many small villages in, in the area of the this abbey of Saint Florian, so he had. I would say until his 30s, uh, a life of a countryside guy. And then he began his career as a, an organist in Linz, which was a quite important city at, at that time. But when he, he came to Vienna, he was uh, dropped alone in a very sophisticated society and he, he didn't have the code of this of this society so i i think it's it's the clash of a, a very simple guy in his way to talk to people and uh, the very sophisticated society of vienna that's i, I think that's the the, the main uh quip we, we can we can learn from 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 this awkward image we have of, of Bruckner, but we have many testimonies uh, about him, about him being a very open-minded person and extremely intelligent person. So you mentioned he was Catholic. Well, yes, he, he was Catholic. Right. Yes, yeah. uh -huh. very devoted, uh -huh. very, very, uh, very strict. Uh, he had a, a sort of notebook, and he noted every every day the number of prayers. He was uh, he was very uh, he had he had a strong strong faith. Uh -huh. Interesting. So I, I again maybe, I don't know too maybe, much maybe, about maybe, him maybe in Vienna, Vienna, you you know you had the the, the beginning of Sigmund Freud, the beginning of atheism, the, the, the beginning of the field, the nihilist uh, philosophy with Nietzsche and Schopenhauer and so on. And there was also this clash of the guy coming from his countryside and very, very Catholic education was mm -hmm. well, uh, maybe it's it, it 
can also explain why why so many people described him as being very awkward, very uh, a very odd guy. Well, Schopenhauer but, uh, was awkward mm-hmm. too. Schopenhauer would yeah. you know, proposition to younger women back when he was very elderly, and I've heard rumors about Bruckner like that too. Like you would proposition uh, younger women. Um, I, I don't know if that is true or not. You know, we weren't there to see it. And they didn't have uh, cameras back then either to check out that rubber underwear. So, uh, but if, if you want, if you want a, maybe a more interesting uh, anecdote about Bruckner's, it's when they transferred the the, the skeleton of um, uh, Beethoven in the the park where he's uh, buried now in, in Vienna. Uh, Bruckner wanted to be there, and he kissed the skull of Beethoven. So he had a, a, a certain fascination for the for death, and he, Bruckner had uh, in his uh, in, in his desk on here or, or on his piano, his his bosom. He had a, fo- a photo, a picture of his death, Mozart. So it was common for people to take pictures of the newly deceased back then, but I don't know if it was common to display those pictures. Um, but even in a St. Florian in Austria, um, there's like a little Bruckner crypt um, with skulls where Bruckner resides now. So, you know, he has the element of death around him still, not just buried in the graveyard. He has a pile of skulls right next to his little uh, casket. Um, so very cool. Um, before we wrap up today, I do want to uh, kind of delve into the your great work is the uh, finishing the finale of Brooklyn's mm-hmm. Ninth. Um, and like I said earlier, is that coda um, that really makes it special. I've heard a lot of other versions. Um, I'm not going to poop on anyone other than Simon Rattle because his version is very sterile. And I don't even know why he did it, honestly, because there's nothing special about it. Yours is very special, though. You have that massive hallelujah coda. Um, how did that come about? Yes, uh, I, I would I would say it's not Rattle's uh, coda. It's it's the, the coda of the, the completion of the, the group, uh, Samali, Kors, uh, Matsuka, and Philips, who are four mu- musicologists, and they worked on, on it for almost 40 years and they made a lot of revision and when Rattle recorded it uh, in, twen- uh, in 2012 I think it was the, the last revision of the of this completion concerning my my completion maybe the word I had recently a discussion on Facebook with some friends uh, among them we have uh, William Carragan, who is also a musicologist, uh, an, an excellent and wonderful musicologist uh, about Bruckner, and he already also composed a, a completion. And the discussion was about: Is the word completion really relevant? Is is it a, a good word? A good word because it implies that we we know what Bruckner intended finally, and uh, the fact is that we we don't know. So a brief description of the situation is that we have uh, 75% of the of the information. So the exposition, the development, and the recapitulation. And we have six uh, missing. We, we have six gaps in 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 this uh, 75%. The, and these gaps have to be reconstructed. 
uh, we have to make links be between our 16 or even uh, 32 bars. And the, the, miss, the real missing part is the, the coda. Coda means tail in, in Latin. And it's, uh, it's the conclusion. And about the conclusion, we have only a few sketches, very, very few material. So uh, the group I, I spoke about uh, just before, Samali, Kors, Matsuka, uh, Philips, they pretend to have um, a very scientific approach of reconstructing uh, the female of Bruckner. But uh, honestly, I, 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 I'm going to be rude. Uh, excuse me, but it's, that's just bullshit. There is no scientific uh, reconstruction. We don't know. We just have the facsimile, the, the available um, material. Uh, we have to know that when Bruckner died, the days after his death, many people came in, in the room where he, his body uh, was left. And most probably a lot of people took some sketches on some befolios from some pages of, of his finale and and this these parts are still missing today so we have um the question about uh what is missing uh probably there, there was more than we have uh, today and the idea that bruckner uh, had uh, was lost about his finale is completely wrong uh, we have the evidences that he was uh, writing. He was um, uh, he was um, how to say that? Uh, that was he. He was um, making a clean version of the finale. He was starting a clean version of the finale, and he, he was putting it in order. So uh, my idea is that uh, we, we probably with three or four months more we would have a complete finale, but he died, unfortunately. And we have to know that the, the last 18 months, months of his life, he dedicated, uh, dedicated this, this time to compose the finale. He was severely ill. So it was not easy for him, but, for him, but he kept in mind the, 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 the idea I want my symphony to have a finale. The, the, the concept was... Uh, always been, I want uh, a, a four, fourth movement symphony. So the coda, the 25% missing and the 75% available, you have gaps. So uh, I would say the real material we have, it's approximately 50, 60%. And you have to reconstruct uh, as, pos as faithfully as possible uh, with uh, respecting the, the style and the aesthetic of the composer as much as possible, of course. And above the coda, why to compose a coda? Because uh, to come back to this discussion about the word, com the word completion, um, my purpose, my, my idea was to make out of the, the available material to make a performable, uh, performable piece of music. And for the coda, it's pure speculation. We have just a few sketches, and from this this few uh, few sketches, I try to uh, to build to build something uh, as consistent as possible. 
and uh, as impressive musically as possible. That maybe uh, David Hurwitz once again said that that's a kind of hubris. Uh, it, maybe it's a, it's a very, very big uh, ambition. My point of view is that I, I try to do something uh, the most respectfully as possible. And that's, the, that's an act of love for, for Bruckner. That's, that's well, my I, point I, I look, of view. I, I look forward to hearing your your version. I, I wasn't aware of it. Um, I see it here on YouTube as we as we speak. Um, so I'm going to delve into that. And, um, and I also joined the uh, Bruckner, one of the Bruckner groups on Facebook. So uh, you're welcome. Forward to, yeah, uh, really, really a pleasure speaking with you. And maybe one of these days when I expand my repertoire and uh, chances to conduct a full orchestra, I will uh, include this into my repertoire. How <laughs> much I, 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 you know, I, I only conduct uh, contemporary music, chamber music, so I'm, I'm somewhat limited by finances. But uh, as uh, Celebadach once said, in the next life, if I have half the year and I'm a billionaire, I will pay you all warmly <laughs> to play music. <laughs> so it's always our wish, right? It's uh, but not money, but because you know, our um, our limited resources sometimes uh, mm -hmm. prevent us from doing what we want. But um, but yeah, I congratulate you on uh, Sebastian on in your you know, and I look forward I'm look forward you know very enthusiastically to hear your your version. Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly be uh, including quite a few links in the description when this episode is posted for those who are curious to check out uh, the coda of the finale that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Sebastian here uh, completed um, his version of it. Like we said, uh, we don't know what Bruckner would have done. And so it is quote unquote French bullshit. <laughs> so uh, um, the we have, we have, we have just a few testimonies. Uh, uh, we have the testimony of uh, Hella, which was um, Bruckner's doctor. And what Hella tell, told us is that Bruckner sat um, before his, his bosom of her and played the finale before him. But uh, Hella was not a musician, so he couldn't take notes. And uh, he gave a description, but that's a second-hand testimony. And we have also um, uh, Max Hauer, uh, who are a musicologist, and he took uh, some uh, elements of the... The, the manuscript uh, of Bruckner of the finale he get from Franz Schalk and he made some comments about probably the finale is the combination of the coda is the combination of this and this but that's just his imagination we have no no real clue about that so those who, who say uh, we are going to reconstruct scientifically the coda or, or even the whole finale that's just bullshit Yep, and my intention, the reason why I compose this is because the other completions or whatever the word you, we are supposed to use for, for, for this kind of work, I was, I was puzzled. I was, I was not satisfied and the coda needs a build-up uh, intention. This is why I quote... Uh, the, the fifth symphony, the seventh symphony, the eighth symphony. I I, I try to to have a sort of uh, you know a, cr a crowning of of his whole symphonic work. 
I don't have to pret uh, the pretension to to have done it uh, successfully, but I did my best as a composer myself to have uh, a conclusion as impressive as possible. That that was that was my my intention, and especially the build-up or, or intention. That that that's very important. I don't I don't feel it in other completions. Uh, same. I, I I haven't heard a coda like yours and any other. Uh quote-unquote completion um so very very powerful music there will be links in the description for you guys to check this out um so i want to thank you both for your time today i know we uh it's a little outside of the box episode for this podcast but uh glory to bruckner um so thank you uh, sebastian and professor you're welcome yes pleasure to pleasure to talk with both of y'all me too have a great rest of